Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to Excess for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Welcome back to another Marvel Fanfare Friday, where we take a look at stories from all over the Marvel Universe. We're going to kick things off with Marvel Voices Comunidades before taking a look at the recent Marvel Unlimited Deadpool Infinity comic, which was co-starring the amazing Invisible Woman, and it's just such a fun story. Story, and I can't wait to talk about it. I'm probably going to mention a little bit of some other stuff going on in the Marvel Universe that relates to some upcoming coverage that we've got coming your way before taking a look at the most recent issue of Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi number seven. Now, Marvel Voices Comunidades, now this has been coming out on our show for kind of like ever, but it's because we love it so much. We can't stop talking about this incredible oversized special. Now, the digital edition is like 91 pages, which is just so significant. There were so many stories that it would have made giving the credits to each one of these narratives in episode a really difficult task. So to put credit where credit's due, we have a number of incredible stories here featuring the introduction by Frederick Luis Aldama, Just as Strange as You by Terry Blas and Julius Otto with Eric Arseniega, Palante Juntos by Daniel Jose Older, Herman Peralta and Jesus Albertov, Mom's Cooking by Edgar Delgado and Francisco Herrera, Latinx and Proud by Julio Anta and Enid Balam, Oren Jr., and Frederico Blee, Corn Husks by Nico Leon and Felipe Sobrero, Legados by Amparo Ortiz and Cal Mahara, with Dono Sanchez Almara, Homecoming by Alex Segura and Alba Glez, with Jose Marzan Jr. and Chris Peter, Operation New World by Desiree Proctor, Erica Harrell, Paco Medina, with Frederico Blee, Hands by Carla Pacheco, Vanessa R. Del Rey, and Felipe Sobrero, You're Not Alone, by Clarabel A. Ortega, Adriana Melo, Victor Nava, and D. Holima. Fate and the Sorcerer Supreme by Juan Ponce, Wilton Santos, with Sean Parsons and D. Holima. Shark's Hunt by Leonardo Romero. Bienvenidos by Gustavo Duarte. De Donde Eres by David Betancourt, Aletha E. Martinez, Jose Marson Jr., and Brian Valencia. And Locomotion by Yehudi Mercado, Mauro Fedro, and Fernando Cifuentes of Proto Bunker Studios. Of course, all of this lettering was done by the incredible VCs Ariana Mar. And now that all of those amazingly well-deserved credits are out of the way, we present to you guys our coverage of the remainder of the stories of Marvel's Voices, Comunidades, that we have not previously already spoken about in our coverage of Strange Academy 13 and 14. We hope you guys enjoy. And if you like what you hear, you might even like what you see. So don't forget to give us a subscribe over on Twitter at X's for Podcast. Hey. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to X's for Podcasts, the show where we take a look at Marvel's mutants, magic, and many voices week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm TK, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at X, Nate X, Gray X. Hey, I'm Raven, aka Dame Red Bench. You can find me over on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Come find me. I'm Kyle. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. And I'm Steven. You can find me on Twitter. Twitter at Stephen of Wonder and over on Facebook as an admin for the House of North Star group. And everyone, hi, I'm Tori. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan and on Instagram at SM Tori. That's Tori with an I. Marvel Voices Comunidades. Yeah. And again, oh. Right. <laughs> oh, there is so much to talk about in this. Oh issue. My God. So very much. Some of which we have covered in other sections of the podcast. The two stories that are tangential to Strange Academy were covered in our coverage of issues 13 and 14 of Strange Academy. So we will be setting those aside. There are a couple others that Nico has uh, personally claimed because they are about Robbie Reyes. Mm-hmm. And we know <laughs> how important. <laughs> Robbie Reyes is Why can I suddenly hear high pitch screeching? Oh <laughs> my goodness, yes. So, He's here in spirit. <laughs> always. So for our part, we will be picking up selection based on those limitations. And we are going to start with two different stories about two different white tigers. These are Palante Juntos and Legados. The former being about Hector Ayala, the original white tiger. And the second being about Ava Ayala. Not the second white tiger, but a down-the-line lineage of white tigers. So guys, white tiger, what do we think i ugly cried at both the stories it was so good and it's it's based in so much truth mm-hmm. that's where some of the best stories come from yeah, yeah i love the usage of actual historical events in hector's story i thought that that was a really smart thing to pull readers in and get them to ask questions about that particular period in uh time for for america for puerto rico i really really love that story even if if the monster was a little hack. <laughs> <laughs> and Tori, it's funny that you say that because the fact of the matter is with Legados, we don't think of that as a historical event because it's happening right the hell now. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know, five years down the line, this is going to be a historical event and the ramifications of the lack of support they received is going mm-hmm. to be written into their history. So mm-hmm. it was really interesting contrasting, you know, the history that we are distant from and can sort of see what's been forgotten or not paid attention to and what's changed. And this one that we are seeing happen live right before our eyes, but that that is history. It is our our identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I really love Ava. I was very pleased to, to, of course, read that story, especially the one thing that will always drive me crazy about White Tiger I don't love the costume for either of them because it drives me crazy that you cannot see their skin. Mm. Mm-hmm. I would love it if like in the future we get a Ava to, you know, shed some of some of the covering on on that body, maybe even just the head and that you could actually see her face because I think that is so important. Not that the story itself isn't important because of absolutely it is. I just I just want to 
see more, you know, Latino people. You kind of want to see that visual representation exist in that universe. Right. It would put that extra little bit of flavor on there that exactly. a lot of us want to see. Absolutely. Yeah. I have to echo that I really enjoyed the historical connections in both of these stories. In addition, I, I kind of really liked that Hector's powers were affected by Basura because of the stench and because he has those tiger-based powers. He's not able to utilize his power because his senses are being overwhelmed by, by the trash. But at the same time, the community starts turning that trash into their own protection. And mm -hmm. that allows him to gain his powers back. And I love that. Yes, absolutely. I definitely also loved those POV panels of him watching the people standing up. I thought that yes. that was a really great way yeah. to show it. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a, almost like a very like Captain Britain kind of storyline where he gets empowered by his, his community. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And La Bandera, actually, uh, thinking of another uh, Cuban superhero who gets their power from their community, who is also a mutant. Like both White Tiger stories, you see that their power very, very much comes from or, or can be bolstered by the community around them. Because um, Basura is basically taken apart by the local community who, you know, as you see him kind of looking through that hazy vision of I've just been knocked around, his community looks very much like a part of him mm -hmm. so you could see that it is where his base of power actually comes from is the community around him the community that stands with him and we see that same thing in in legados the little girl is the first big major thing she's like you know i have to help the white tiger like she becomes that that young almost gen alpha gen z starting point that's like no we gotta fight with her too it can't just be her alone it's like <gasps> i'm gonna yeah. be over here just freaking crying because mm -hmm. like the entire community rallies behind not only white tiger but this younger generation goes you know what you're right we got to stand together and do this i'm like i'm just gonna be over here crying because community is so beautiful <laughs> i'm such a sap i really liked that but at the same time it was i'm sorry it was a little hokey i needed that though <laughs> <laughs> because she goes and she's like i have my computer my community and that makes me stronger she punches the tiger and the tiger's like, I didn't realize you were so strong. Sometimes we need to have like to have a, a monster or a, or a bad villain where you're just like, I know that we're gonna win at the end of the day, and it's gonna because of be because of love. Yeah. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. the heart side of Captain Planet has to has to take the lead. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of. Uh, frustrating you know when when minority stories are not told regularly enough because mm -hmm. you they the pressure that they can never be hokey because you're not going to yeah. get yeah. very many more so they have to be perfect oh well, that's and a good point yeah. every once yeah, in a while true. you know i mean it, you are 100 correct correct it was hokey and there are moments in here when deep issues are discussed and the dialogue is just like nobody talks like that obviously mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. 
but we we need to see this conversation we need to have this moment and sometimes we need to barrel past the fact that the writing is not its best because the story's got to get told and what it reminds Mm -hmm. us is if you would give us more of these stories if you would give these characters more page time we could get the hokey out in other places where you know it wouldn't matter and there would be a lot more time to shine the magnifying glass goes on it because like we just don't know when we're going to get more and we just don't know when we're going to get the amount to which these characters and these communities are owed absolutely Mm -hmm. the art on both of these stories was actually beautiful uh, especially in the second one with Mm -hmm. the white tiger he was they he was beautifully drawn but very specifically (laughs) i was enamored with the art in the first white tiger story it Uh was beautiful especially and again it comes down to the costume seeing that panel where with the split with where you see his actual face mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. just so breathtaking to me and i just wanted more all right oh. guys are we ready to sort of slide into our two miles morales stories yeah, yeah let's yeah. do it we're yes. talking about latinx and proud and de donde aries uh latinx and proud being about miles morales and anya corazon's spider girl and de donia aries being about an encounter and a lesson taught to miles morales through black panther so guys what we think these are my favorites yes yeah i loved that we got a story about the the term latinx and latine Mm -hmm. because i think that it's just it's an important conversation to have nobody's forcing it on anybody nobody has to use it you know it's all about your comfort level and i really really appreciated how they how they described it how they explained it rationalized it um because it was very true to how i feel and i do i use i actually use both terms interchangeably for myself and for my community i i oh i loved it because it's a conversation that i've seen happen a few times especially online um and whatnot but it's a conversation that like needs to be held but it's one of those things that it can't just be randomly held in open spaces it needs nuance it needs context and they did it so beautifully here and i was just like yes oh my god yes like i wasn't expecting it and they did it in such an amazing manner and asking all the some of the little questions the little niggly questions that um people who don't know what that term means ask so it was really great to have that that call and response back and forth because it meant that all those little questions that tend to be asked when you only answer a big question didn't also need to be asked because they've already been answered so good yeah i'll be honest i have been confused about the terms myself so having it in this format really helped me to better understand the evolution of the the terms and how the communities are preferring to use them it's really helpful as somebody who doesn't live in that community yeah kyle i also don't live in that community and have at times been unsure or confused you know there's nothing wrong with that confusion the question is 
is how do you learn more and how do you not put the onus on somebody else to educate you and make them do the labor for you. And a real gift that comics companies, you know, especially the big two can do is to pay creators for art that can teach people that are reading about this stuff that we don't necessarily know about. So it was a really exciting moment here. Again, you know, the writing is not going to win awards for dialogue, but this is something that is helpful for certain people to learn for the first time and for certain people to see reinforced. And we got a, you know, we got a story with great art out of it. And, you know, we got to see characters that we relate to talking about things we want and need to know. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I think it's also a great template for how to have this conversation with some people who are resistant. A lot of times when you want to take the opportunity to educate, you still have that kind of resentment inside of you that you have to educate other people. And so sometimes the conversation can be harsher than you mean to. And I think that this is a great way to showcase how you can approach things with kindness and with providing examples that people can relate to, even within the community if they're resistant, and give you that opportunity to expand people around you in a kind and and gentle manner. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that I we hear a lot when there are changes to language is, why do we have to use this new language? And in this case, they provided a, a an example of a similar situation and explained why it's okay for language to evolve, why it's okay to review and try to find a better way of explaining things. Because for some people, certain words mean a certain thing and it, it doesn't always match up, even in the same community. I think it would be you know naive to say that this is the best way to go about it for everybody because well let's let me just say that it <laughs> there was a lot of commentary about it but i do think that this is as tori said a really good way to start that kind of a conversation and it's not going to happen overnight in latinx and proud we have a great discussion of language and identity in de donde eres we have an amazing discussion of identity heritage and presence presentation and expression what did you guys think about this black panther comes to dinner story adorable i could i could have a thousand pages of t'challa sweet talking abuelas (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness that it it was like at first i wasn't sure where this was gonna run its course i'm like huh this is gonna be a, a kind of interesting uh a kind of interesting get together because I'm like, are, are they trying too hard on this? Are they are they trying too hard on this? Like, but they actually pulled it off, and it was it was fun, and it was kind of nice to get to see a blend of um, not only a, an American culture, but uh, you know, Black Panther is is held in such deep regard for another American culture. It was kind of great to see the blend between the two and. I just, I love the freaking artwork. I'm just, I am, mm. every time I look at it, I don't know what it is. It just really speaks to me and it just, it pulled it off so well. And yeah, no, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. No, I definitely also loved uh, what the, the conversation between T'Challa and Miles about the differences between Black people's experiences in America, uh, Hispanic Latino experiences in America, and Black 
Latinx experiences in America versus the African experience and the Wakandan experience in particular, and how there is a range of how that works and what that all means and why it's important. I definitely felt throughout this story more than I felt in the others, the struggle with identity, the mistakenness of identity, particularly for someone who's hiding his identity um, and the, the want to be, to be visible without being known. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, really sure what more to say on that. I mean, <laughs> um, that's, that's a very, very, very concise explanation that mirrors what I felt about it. So I thought I was yeah. going to hate it. I really did because I don't always love when a flag is completely plastered on a costume. So, but like, I think that this did it so well. It was actually very rem- reminiscent of uh bucky's time as captain america it suited him really well you know of course like we have the vertical stripes which is very flattering for somebody with, <laughs> with them tone and build so good for him i actually really love the dialogue okay that's all i liked the costume it was a nice change for this celebration i'm sad that it was a one-time use thing but it, it's it was a good way of allowing miles to show his where he belonged in the community without revealing his own identity and that was a great solution to the problem absolutely yes 100 yes. percent agreed let's talk about you're not alone america chavez and amadeus cho having a little adventure together oh, i loved that yeah oh my god i loved that tell me it was just a it was so much fun and honestly that's what i think of when i think of amadeus cho and america chavez you're gonna get some quick wit you're gonna get some zingers you're gonna have some you know some fun play back and forth and they did such a good job on it where they were working together instead of trying to one up each other which is something you could you can sometimes get in certain comic books with certain uh personalities to get that (laughs) one-upsmanship instead and this it was like oh my god they're working together and they're keeping it fun and light but also really telling a great story so i was i was very happy about it i actually spent the whole time being like i thought america chavez was a teen because she is beautifully drawn in this mm-hmm. and i just really enjoyed where she was coming from how she was drawing her own parallels what was happening again i felt like it was a good um reach back to what she had what she had just been through while also showing it through kind of a more Im- important to the whole world lens mm-hmm. absolutely one of the things i love about the stories throughout these two issues is when we get a chance to see a character that's part of the community that the issue is reflecting interacting with another character that is not a white person and just mm-hmm. that reminder that it's not you know white people and latinx people and then don't worry about anything else this is a diverse country people have a wealth of experiences and a wealth a community that they interact with that is vastly different than just other white people so you know to have this particular team up and not to have it you know really highlight their 
their their ethnic backgrounds or their heritage or anything like that but just to have it be a story about the two of them was really really nice to see because i think there is you know often the potential just because of the wealth of white characters to just pair somebody up with a with a white character so i was particularly excited about this matchup in the same way that i was really happy to see miles morales interacting with black panther i actually don't know that much about america (gasps) yeah i don't love alternate dimension characters i was really pleased with the addition to amadeus even though (laughs) i almost kind of feel like he didn't even do anything much along the lines of like tuxedo mask i was about to say I'm like, it, did he have a tuxedo mask moment in your mind? Also, really loved finding out that she had uh, two moms. And yeah. I, is she queer herself? Because I did yes. get a vibe. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. No, but to clear it up, um, America Chavez is like, I think about 18 or 19 years old at this point. That's why she's like now a young adult trying to figure out what the hell she's supposed to do and not doing the high school adventure type thing. So yes, she was she was raised in the community. She is part of the community. Trust me, go back and read her story. You'll love her more. A lot of your prejudice prejudices will evaporate. Yeah, she's not really that alternate dimensiony. Like she gets grounded in six one six pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. Her, right. Her Avenger, her young Avengers run. That's, I mean, like, it's just so good. Yeah, I heard her history is said to have actually originated in 616, and that does put me at ease a little bit more. Basically, yeah. Fate and the Sorcerer Supreme. We have been given an abundance of riches over these past couple months, giving us not one, but two Sorcerer Supremes that we had never known before. The one we're going to talk about here and one in the pages of Death of Doctor Strange White Fox. We are starting to get that sort of Slayer-esque lineage of the Sorcerer Supreme and understanding that this is a role that is much more storied and complex than we have ever really visited in the past. So guys, what do we think of Nina the Conjurer? I would be more than okay if she replaced Steven forever. (laughs) You're not wrong. You're not wrong. You can say it. Thank you. I I loved her. Okay, so I don't always love the Sorcerer supreme stuff uh because i i think that magic is just as much as they've tried to rein it in is very messy in marvel but (laughs) i loved her like it this story the art the writing i was obsessed obsessed with Mm -hmm. this character and this story i want more just more Uh i agree this art was stunning um the the beauty and the awe of the dear god that she's dealing with is just stunning oh my gosh and i felt that the awesomeness in the in the old way of like of actual inspiring awe of being in front of something so terrible who is also so kind Uh was just stunning i loved it i loved her i loved the trickery that she pulled to get the the ending that that she wanted i think it was smart it was really good work great supreme work Uh i mean how could you not love her she is a gun blade wielder she is a boss bitch like this oh my god i just i want to read so much more of this character is this her first appearance i have to know 
This is not her first appearance. Oh. She's been in a couple of the strange books, but I think they're like the like modern era, so yeah. you can like go back and find a lot okay. of her. She mentions really that quick. she ran into strange before. So mm-hmm. this actually might be my favorite story. Come to think of it, I was so obsessed with Ananga and like the shifting form that Ananga took from this extremely regal and imposing you know winged deer to stag to the the beautiful fey like mm-hmm. uh visage mm-hmm. like i just i want an entire book of this character of this art of the story mm-hmm. i uh, i was just from beginning to end i was just absorbed and, uh, i and i love her approach to fighting with magic mm-hmm. it is markedly different than the way Stephen Strange does his thing. Yep. So it's great to see that it's not just a copy and paste when it comes to Sorcerer Supremes. Each of them has their own style. Kushala had her own style. Um, and she played the dual role of Sorcerer Supreme and the Spirit of Vengeance, which was oh, so good. Yes. And then we have Nina the Sorcerer, who is so clever and so smart. And, you know, she doesn't off go on the offense she actually builds better defenses and shows kindness and compassion and empathy but is also ready willing and armed to do more if she has to but oh my god it just yes her approach to magic definitely reminds me of the use of magic in diane duane so you want to be a wizard series which i highly recommend for anyone who is burned out on harry potter right now yes highly (laughs) recommend oh i think um Uh, Beyond her approach to magic, her approach to the situation at hand, I think I I can better uh, articulate it as she approached Ananga the way that I can see Diana uh, from from DC approaching Ananga. Mm. Like she wanted to make peace with this with this deity and I saw a lot of of what I love about Wonder Woman in Nina and mm. I just I just want her to be in the books all the time. Right. I want her to be the sorcerer supreme. I want her to be like on the Avengers you know, I just, I just want more of her. I'm sorry. I know I keep repeating myself. Oh my god! No, yeah, <laughs> well, no, no. Death of Doctor Strange has got one more issue, and we don't know what's going to happen. So I have yeah. actually been enjoying that not for nothing. Yeah. So that's yeah. true. Yeah. It's very true. I really like Nina. I want to go back and try to find more about her because she is different from from Doctor Strange. She has the kindness that he doesn't really show very at all. Um... <laughs> <laughs> that was a good way of putting it. <laughs> I just like how she seems to be concerned not just about the magic of the the area, but the indigenous people of the area and the environment itself. She's worried about that and she doesn't want to instigate a battle with Ananga. She wants to try to understand why Ananga has has started uh, uh, going on the offense of herself so it's it's not just a matter of seal things away and hope that somebody at the strange academy doesn't run up against it later it's mm-hmm. she, she's trying to she's trying to take things and fix the issue so that everybody's happy yeah absolutely yeah we love nina beautifully 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 said operation new worlds everybody get excited because we're talking about risk Ooh. 
I'm so excited. <laughs> this was a great story because it was really straightforward and, you know, pretty simple. We'll not be having enormous ramifications for Krakoa or the Marvel Universe at large, but we get to have an awesome moment with this character that we haven't seen enough of that we would probably like to see a lot more of. I think this story was extremely important because this is a indigenous and Cuban woman who was dealing with the concept of colonialism. And I really appreciated the story. I really liked seeing a, a bit of insight on how she approached a situation like that, on her inner commentary. I think it was very important. The art was beautiful. I really just wish it could have been longer. I really I, wish it could have been longer. Yeah. I agree. I definitely think for me, who doesn't know as much about Krakoa, even though Nico is constantly pressuring me to read these issues, um, that for me, hearing about all the things that what Krakoa means and what it means to separate the mutants out and is that okay to find that they are start wanting to spread to another planet but are not interested in making the same mistakes that have historically happened in earth civilization is an important statement on what they stand for and what they're willing what they are and are not willing to do to continue what they're doing mm-hmm. absolutely it was a great way to show that the mutants aren't all about conquering they're exploring they're seeing what their options are they are trying to do as much good as they can for themselves and for the universe also i just want to say that i had zero idea that this character was going to be in it i just kept thinking i know risk is not going to be in this book and then i got to a risk story and i (laughs) i actually squealed so loud that i thought i was going to alert my roommate and he was going to come rushing upstairs to see if i was okay oh my god (laughs) have we have we met this civilization before or is this brand new that's a good question i don't think we've met this civilization before i don't i don't remember ever seeing um characters even in other books that looked like this yeah so yeah it was kind of it was lovely seeing a whole new civilization that maybe we see them again maybe we don't it's kind of it's kind of nice that you know it wasn't forced colonization yeah agreed i i'm like i'm a sucker for like octopus races so this was great (laughs) as you can tell with my love (laughs) as you can tell with my love of the whale If it's got tentacles, you're in. That's you know what? That is not that far from the truth. We're just gonna isolate that audio. (laughs) Oh my god. So I really liked that Risk used her own experiences and her the experiences of her people to provide the results of her findings to Brand and Brand just uh, taking it as matter of fact and saying, yeah, we don't want to be like the humans do. That, that was something that I should have been expecting, but did not really expect coming from Brand because Brand has been right. very, yeah. she has been very... Um, ruthless ruthless and entirely focused on earth in general not just mutants or humans or whatever it's always been earth you're right so, you're right so seeing seeing her take a side on this between the ways uh, be, uh between human and mutants and how they tr- they treat other civilizations that was that was kind of it, it was nice i agree with you it was actually a nice way to flesh her 
her out even more to give her limits to give her her own boundaries on what she's willing to do i mean i could be wrong about that but like you, you never know we'll see what happens in the future with her i think that risk took a lot of restraint when she was attacking the indigenous people of this world and i think we need to applaud her for that because with the with gravity gra- was it gravity kinesis or whatever it is the ability to mm-hmm. uh, implode objects she could have done a lot of damage and i just think that this was a breathtaking display of restraint that's all she's perfect she can do no wrong that's it she's an explorer (laughs) queen we love her we want to see her touch down on many more new worlds in the future yes we totally stand the non-colonizers yes oh my god i love her so let's take a jaunt over to rio de janeiro brazil in homecoming where we see a little bit of catharsis for our boy sunspot so having Berto return to to Rio was pretty nice and having that connection to Juliana's family and discovering that her brother has the X gene and has a absolutely beautiful power set is it was so refreshing I'm hoping that we get to see more of Javi in the future just kind of like a day in the life kind of thing we don't we don't have slice of life stories very often so maybe getting to see him visiting Krakoa and Berto showing him around something like that that would be pretty cool you know Steve Orlando got to bring Somnus his character that he created for Marvel Voices Pride into the Marauders for now what looks like it's going to be indefinite if not a long arc so the idea that this character Javi could be on the island and featured regularly in stories is absolutely feasible and I think it's what we really hope to get out of stories like absolutely also he seems to have some kind of hydrokinetic ability I could be wrong about that but that could be really useful on a boat mm-hmm. yep yep absolutely oh I love it it's a little water parent it really is <sighs> I'm like I, I'm like I, no he's a sweet boy he never needs to fight he is a sweet boy protect him at all costs yes but no i i did love this story and i love that sunspot got some catharsis because his character quite often goes through a lot of trauma but doesn't always get to process it and i have i have desperately wanted to see this you know i I wanted to see him be able to work through some of the shit that goes on in his life and so it was really nice to see that in this storyline and to give that gift of that little Krakoan flower so that um, Javi can, you know, come and visit or, you know, has a place that he can go to escape these people that are freaking hunting him strictly because he's a mutant. Like, uh, he has a place to go. He has family waiting for him on the other side. And that is just too goddamn sweet. Absolutely. It's the promise of Krakoa. I was really happy to see uh, uh, Berto revisit uh, his, well, where we got to see him in his first appearance. And I loved seeing him passing on, as as Raven said, I love seeing him pass on the Krakoan flower, see him defending this young mutant. And I really do hope that we get more moments like this uh, in the future because I love Sunspot so much. <laughs> and I love characters who have water power, so I really do want to see Javi a lot more. Fingers and that's, crossed. That's really it. It was just, it was just a beautiful story. It was... 
it, the art was gorgeous. So I actually would not be angry to see this artist on an X book full time. Right? Yeah. Very cute. Gorgeous, gorgeous art from, oh from my gosh. the story. Yeah. Absolutely. That's all. That's all I got. Mm-hmm. I'll have to say that was one of my favorite things about this book is the vast, like the, the spectrum of art in this book. It was so gorgeous and yet had so much so many different reads so many different intonations for the stories that they were representing and it was it was great to see especially since so many of the artists belonged to the community you know the writers belonged to the community it was it was great to see so much of this going on because i'm like yes see this works for a book now bring it to other places because mm-hmm. we could use more of it yes so a recurring theme throughout the entirety of this issue is of course food we oh, see it in yeah. so many places in little moments like at the end of the amadeus cho and america chavez story and we have to close out two really small one-page stories oh are we not covering just as strange as you no we are not covering just as strange as you we did oh, that for uh i guess that's true yeah. i just really really so i I finally got to read it and I this was actually probably one of my absolute favorite stories in the book. It actually made me cry for some reason. I don't know why. It's um, very good. Same. But I'm, same. I'm glad we're talking about the food aspect because uh, we're so talking good. about corn husks. Thank you very much. And sharks hunt. Two, so these are two just quick little one-page stories. One of them about reptile, one of them about shark girl. But again, food comes out through comes up throughout these issues and is such a por- an important part of Latinx culture. And it was so great to see it featured throughout and in all of these both little and big ways. I love it so freaking much. Yeah. I loved including so the recipes. Yeah. Oh my and gosh, the, yes. And the connection to like how you made it with with your with your relatives who you love so much the amount of love that gets put into everything was so so important it makes you think about like your own family and what recipes are important to you as a cuban person i i actually was very um attached to my grandmother especially during the last year and a uh, and a half of her life she was teaching me her recipes and i can't tell you how valuable and priceless that is in our culture the story hands had me just on the verge of tears like i was i thought that story was very beautifully told very beautiful and i was so happy to see the the recipes like that was such Uh a beautiful touch and they do talk about that in the info pages where they did want to include food because it was such an important part of latina culture so i that was just a beautiful beautiful way to tell these stories beautiful way mm-hmm. i oh, i loved it so much now i'm i'm just half black half white but i love diving into other cultures foods because quite often it says a lot about their history and and where they came from um and it's 
oh my goodness, I loved these because I've seen a lot of my friends who are part of the culture do these things. And it it was so great to see that representation because honestly, at the end of the day, so many of the ills of the world or even of the day can be kind of swept away by good food that has been made with love and care and, and some dedication to it. And that's what these spoke to is just the coming back to family or the coming back to community and that shared knowledge that you have. So you're putting in that work and, and doing something that has been passed down for probably millennia at this point. And it's just, oh, it was so lovely. It was so beautiful. And like, I cried a couple of times, even in these little one page ones, I get all misty eyed and stuff, but I love it. Yeah, that's a great way to frame it. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All I know is I definitely want to try out this tortilla recipe okay. because yeah. it is calling to me. Is really a beautiful reminder that food is yet another thing that we can all come together and come around. 100% agreed. Creators, just a little note. If you ever want to just throw some recipes in there, mm-hmm. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, we'll never say no. Oh my gosh, like, yes. That's such a good point. Because yes. like television yes. shows that used to put out cookbooks were like my favorite thing. I have the Desperate yeah. Housewives cookbook. I pull from <laughs> it for every dinner. <laughs> oh my god, I just bought my boyfriend the Final Fantasy 14 cookbook for Christmas. Love it. It's so oh, good. It's I so can't good. wait. <laughs> yes. I want the yeah. Elder Scroll cookbook so badly. Oh. It looks amazing. And again, really does speak to even just like individual like like cultures in general, like among friends. Like food is so important. So, so important. Marvel, yeah. apparently it's time for a new cookbook. Right. Yes. As somebody who grew up in a family that doesn't have traditional recipes and the stuff that I grew up with had absolutely no flavor. I... Oh my goodness. <laughs> Tell us your last thoughts on, on food. Give me more. It brings us all together. Yes. yes. I love it. <laughs> Hey everybody, Nico here. Now, I'm here to talk about the Deadpool Infinity Comic 5-part Invisible Touch from 2021. This was so much fun, and it was brought to us by Jerry Dugan on writing, with Lucas Wernick on pencils and inks, Jeffo did layouts with Rochelle Rosenberg on colors, and VC's Joe Sabino on letters. This was really an unexpected pleasure. Some of the Infinity Comics have maybe felt like they would at times go on maybe a little too long, and other times they didn't feel like they really knew how to utilize the format that was being presented. But this comic, by using a character like Deadpool, who so readily breaks the fourth wall in his own comic, the idea of a meta-exploration of deconstructing the borders and the bleeds and the sort of fluid movement from panel to panel really comes across here, and it's absolutely done in incredible art. Lucas Wernick did a beautiful job on Trial of Magneto, and this is more incredible art from him here. And once again, right away, we're treated to why Deadpool is the sort of character that looks so good scrolling through a tablet or scrolling through on a phone screen. The transition from hideous, horrifying new Deadpool to, you know, handsome, stunning Deadpool in the Merc suit to his Stiltman look is tremendous. Now, I'll be honest, this title kind of had me at Stiltman. I'm a big Daredevil fan, and as such, I'm super excited to announce that we will be launching a partner show to X's for podcast, The Billy Club. The Billy Club will see myself and longtime huge Daredevil 
Marvel fan Tori Sheehan, who is also a contributor here to X's for Podcast, launch a YouTube series taking a look at every Daredevil issue from the first issue back in 1964 and moving forward from there. Now, in conjunction with that, here on X's for Podcast, as part of our Marvel Fanfare Fridays, we're going to be taking a look at Chip Zdarsky's run on Daredevil from the beginning, arc by arc, before we make our way into Devil's Reign to begin Devil's Reign coverage for its final act. We are very excited to bring all of that your way later this year in 2022. And, you know, seeing Stiltman get some sort of credible respect here, it's one of the reasons that Jerry Dugan does handle these sort of silly, funny characters so well. He knows how to take somebody like Stiltman, who is a joke, but there are really great stories with Stiltman, and giving him the respect of putting him in a situation like this definitely lends some really positive credence to what's going on here. Now, I'll be honest, I maybe didn't need another hyper setup of a it's an auction and there's superhero stuff, but you know what? That's such a great trope to use at this point, especially for somebody like Deadpool. So while it's not something I would have said, yeah, I'm clamoring for a that story, it's a story that when it shows up, it lends itself so well to these sorts of characters, you know, like a Kate Bishop, who we recently saw it for in the Hawkeye TV series, as well as Logan with Maverick earlier in the Ben Percy run. You know, it's definitely a well to go to with regard to the responsibility of heroes and their footprint and the things they leave behind becoming a part of the villain culture that that is a response to everything heroes do. You know, I also need to point out that Lucas Wernick draws such hot people. It is ridiculous, just absolutely absurd. And it's so great because there is still an incredible, like, lovable cartooniness to it. And, you know, I need to comment here that Boomerang looks great. And I do have some Boomerang feels going on in conjunction with that aforementioned Daredevil coverage. I do want to point out that there's been a bunch of references to some stuff in Spider-Man in Devil's Reign, and I had no idea what was going on. So I picked up King's Ransom, which is volume 13 of Amazing Spider-Man by Nick Spencer. It has art by Rohan Antonio, Patrick Gleason, Frederico Vincentini, Dustin Weaver, Edgar Delgado, Alex Sinclair. There's a lot of incredible art in here, and it was perhaps not the most vital component to understanding things going on in Devil's Reign, but if anybody is curious about what was going on there that's getting mentioned, you can find it over in one trade. It pretty much sums it up, and it definitely feels in a lot of ways like a Daredevil story, so I kind of had from just having read a bunch of Spider-Man villains over in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man with Boomerang, I was definitely kind of in a Spidey villain place, especially with No Way Home going on. Seeing like Boy Electro as opposed to like Woman Electro, who is now a thing, was a little jarring. I sometimes don't remember how many iterations of these characters there are, but you know, Wernick really captured a kind of powerful element to Electro here, and kind of hot. That's some big meaty chest area. Like, damn, dude's doing it, right? And once again, seeing Stiltman as Wade as Stiltman, that sort of funny dynamic really does work for me. He is such an easy character to both underestimate 
and to overproject a specific ideal onto, Wade can be a character that lays in the background and watches things unfold. And I definitely appreciate that he sort of lets things happen here to keep a lower profile. It's definitely a side of Wade I enjoy. Now, the spot has never been my favorite villain. I don't know. There's something about the holes that just creep me out. It's just not my thing. And I definitely squicked while talking about it and scrolling through it to try and get through it as quickly as possible. And one of the highlight moments for me is once Sue is introduced, she looks spectacular. There is an almost video game-like effect in static art. I mean, this is an incapable of moving thing, but the colors captured by Rochelle Rosenberg in this transition from the invisibility to Sue's stark darkness in her costume is just out of this world. I cannot believe how much this looks like movement on a static panel. It's just tremendous. From there, I get what is probably my favorite joke of the entire thing. Wade as Stiltman shouts, oh my god, it's a ghost. And Electro says, holy hell, the invisible woman is here. And Wade has to correct himself. Oh, right. I mean, it's the invisible woman. No, at this point, Wade has been a good guy for so long. And, you know, he's not going to ever, it's kind of hard to make him a villain again with his own movie franchise. So it's so cute when he sort of has this suspension of ability. Now, that sort of suspension is a really important part of what's going on here. I don't necessarily know that I accept the spot as the world's greatest teleporter ever. I've read some spot here and there. He, of course, does appear in Daredevil. I've also read him in the pages of Spider-Man, and this does very much seem in his power set. Perhaps I just don't care for the spot, but he definitely, even as someone who doesn't care for him, he doesn't take anything from the experience. I also really appreciate that the whole reason that we are given the Deadpool as a part of this scheme is he's specifically looking to impress Captain America, Captain America being a character who represents a paragonal reality in the Marvel Universe. He is somebody that even questionable folk often aspire to be. Look at Frank Castle. Dude is like a murderous psycho douchebag. And he, I unfortunately enjoy him, but you know, he still sucks and he wants to impress Cap all the time or, you know, usually. And that's an important distinction to keep there. A lot of Marvel's rowdier good guys still fall in line behind Cap, and that is something I appreciate in the character. And, you know, I also appreciate that it does seem like Deadpool knows to fall in line behind Sue here. Sort of. He does let Sue have the lead kind of going on forward. I mean, he at least doesn't go too far off the rails, right? The extended cheer sequence with Rhino and Black Cat, Crazy Eights, Typhoid Mary, Vulture. This felt like a very exciting cavalcade who's who. It played out perhaps a little long, but not longer than it held my enjoyment. I did think some of the cameos were super impressive level cameo, because if, you know, this is canon Typhoid Mary, this is a pretty big time for Typhoid Mary, and it's an interesting puzzle piece to put into the I'm going to keep bringing it up, Devil's Reign sort of tapestry going on. I enjoy seeing classic Doc Ock, if for no other reason. I'm enjoying the hell out of some Devil's Reign superior foes, right? And it really is a quick, light read for the most part. By the time you're on issue three, it's still moving pretty fast. It still, for the most part, comes down to a conceit. Whether or not you like the auction and trying to reclaim a piece of super technology trope or not. If that trope isn't for you, the story probably would 
wouldn't be for you, because it really is just about building character piece. One of the things that makes it so special is the number of quiet moments that Wade offers to Sue. The number of personal asides showing her who he is. It's not to say that Wade isn't known for his ability to become vulnerable and share who he is with other people, but it is specifically an intense hallmark here. I also want to give great credit to the creative team, because one of the absolute best uses of motion in a comic I have seen since, I guess, the first issue's Invisible Woman color thing is the Deadpool rolling down. I felt like he was rolling down my tablet. It was really exciting to get to look at, and I appreciated a number of the jump cuts, the reference to Squirrel Girl, putting a lot of love to creating a likable book. There's still enough sort of Deadpool gets kicked in his own grundle by his own self while stabbing himself in the eye all of this through a dude. So, you know, it's still Deadpool, don't get me wrong, but it's got such a sense of... For the most part, I do think this is, even though it's parental advisory, very readable by just about anybody. Now, I do feel once we're at the Baxter building, the star of the show is probably the thing for me. That The Thing sequence is quite literally maybe the most gosh darn endearing thing I have ever seen involving Ben. I cannot get over how much I love that. I love the flipped panels. It's a really fun look. The artistic level that Lucas Wernick takes this interpretation of Ben grim to is really spectacular and I find it a really exciting change and contrast to a lot of his much more sort of pin-up-y kind of characters because once again this Reed Richards is just serving the dilfiest dilf ever ever it's all positive zone here total love for this interpretation of Reed Richards another thing I loved is Lucas Wernick taking the time to craft this sort of circuitry into the panel transitions I'm not sure if maybe that's where Jeff comes in, right? Because I don't necessarily understand the relationship between the art team here, but I know that I'm very impressed with the final product, and it's these unique touches that really bring the story to life. Once the spot is, you know, inevitably dealt with, and of course, Deadpool has his hoagie, I'm, you know, I, f I felt really dumb because as I'm reading this, I'm getting closer and closer to the ending, and I'm like, wait, but who, who could it, oh, I see, it's going to be Doom, and I kind of felt like, how didn't I get there sooner? It's almost as if Jerry Dugan does this for a living or something, because I loved having my expectation met with sort of like the definition of humor in having it be Tony under the mask in the final part. Ultimately, I loved this story for a million reasons. I thought Deadpool was very on brand. Him asking if ultimately his rebooting is his secret superpower. Sort of a cute little playful thing, but also kind of puts a, a thoughtful spin on the character that I always appreciate. And seeing Marvel allow Sue Storm to not play the kind of matron or wife role is always so important because while those are two wonderful roles that she plays and they serve great value to both her family and the Marvel Universe as well as many people. She is such a multifaceted character with so many beautiful layers written into her over the last however many years. Uh, 60, because what now it's 2020, time has become kind of real hard to figure out. But I feel as though this was sort of the adventurer Sue Storm that reminds me why she's the woman who goes to space and kicks ass so readily. This was 
a creative team having a good time showcasing what makes comics fun. And that was something I appreciated. This wasn't too heavy in any one direction. I enjoyed the payoff of it being Tony and Tony being like, oh no, I've got my Doom armor and it fools the Doom bots. And Sue has to let Tony know that she plays with Doom fire a whole lot more than he does and that is likely to get him burned. It plays so well into the hubris of the character, but when it first shows up, you think for a minute, oh, that's awesome. And then, you know, it's one of the ways in which this story was a masterful attempt to take a look at these characters in a format that I think worked really well. Now, up next is Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi has been such a mainstay on this show for a while. Now, we have a few more Shang-Chi stories to go back and grab, but this narrative has been such a powerful one for our team, and so many people have come in to talk about it. It's definitely a book that we love sharing, and guys, we love making this show for you three times a week, every week. Mondays are magic, X-Men, X-Wednesdays, and of course, Marvel Fanfare Fridays. Until next time, keep those Krakoan gateways open, those mutant lights lit. I'm Nico Action. You guys can check me out at N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N on the socials. Enjoy this last segment, and we'll see you on the other side. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we cover mutants, magic, marvels, and ninjas. <laughs> I'm your host, Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. That's P-E-A-K. I'm Kyle. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. Hi everybody, I'm Steven. You can find me on Twitter at Steven of Wonder and over on Facebook as an admin for the House of North Star group. And I'm Raven, aka Dame Red Bento, and you can find me over on like TikTok and Twitter and whatnot. You know, art's going on, start a conversation, it's that whole thing. <laughs> And we hope you survive this experience, just like Shang-Chi and his mother are surviving this onslaught of villains that are (laughs) seemingly back to attack him. That must mean we're covering Shang-Chi number seven, written by Jean Luen Yang, art by Deke Ruan, colors by Triona Farrell, and letters by VCs Tranis Lanham. And now, before we get into the meat and potatoes of what this issue is bringing to us, I would love to know everybody's thoughts. How have you been feeling about these issues that we've been covering so far? So, as I have said in the past, I was getting a little tired of the repetition of the whole Shang-Chi versus the Marvel Universe. So, I'm really happy that we have moved past that that little arc and we've started doing something a little different and started building more backstory for his mom and the rest of his family still and we're we're finally seeing all these shadowy figures come into the light I agree. And when people talk about the Fantastic Four, they say that's a book about family. That's a family book. I think the same thing can apply to Shang-Chi. I think a lot of Shang-Chi's stories, from what I can gather and understand, is that he's been defined a lot by his family. And that's whether that's his father or his siblings or his mother that we're now learning more about or his grandfather, who's upset by everything, as we learn. There's a lot of family dynamics that goes on in this issue. Raven, how are you feeling up to 
to this point about this Shang-Chi series? Yeah, it had a very... <laughs> Shang-Chi, you're always on the wrong side of the good guys. And it's like, dude, is, is this supposed to be a, a good guy book? Or is this supposed to be a villain book? Like, I, I honestly didn't know what to think of it. Because honestly, it was just a bunch of white superheroes most often showing up and demanding things of, of them. And I'm like, hmm okay but i really did like that the story kind of changed track and decided to actually focus on the characters and build some you know interpersonal backstory because that's honestly what i've been waiting for i've been kind of you know i'm like i i, I know the basic origin stories but i like i needed to know more about the characters because they're really interesting and i wanted to know more so i could you know be even more interested in them so i i really enjoyed this one because we got some actual backstory and it worked Absolutely. And with the, I guess it's still pretty recent success of the Shang-Chi movie, I imagine a lot of people are craving a good jumping on point to not only learn about Shang-Chi more, but to help establish his identity within the Marvel universe, within the Marvel comic version, I should say. Steven, you're somebody who caught up on everything so you could join us for this episode as well. How are you feeling about these issues as you're reading all this concurrently? I actually agree with Kyle. It was a little bit of a repetition with him against everybody in the Avengers. And at a certain point, I just kept feeling like they were just so against him. And I feel like we've played this game in the Marvel Universe before with other characters. And maybe, you know, they should all, I don't know, know a little bit better than to just go in with just complete distrust and again, it, it does kind of come off a little ugh, icky to me that they're all cis white men attacking this minority. But I feel like as much as I, that makes me cringe, I still like really, really loved the book itself. I do think it had a pacing issue sometimes because I would get a little confused by how quickly scenes would end and change. But on the whole, I have really enjoyed this journey of him rediscovering his family and reconnecting with them. I'm absolutely obsessed with Deadly Staff. I don't know if I'm the only one, but I'm a little devastated to find out that they're not entirely on his side. Maybe. Who knows? We'll see how that goes. But uh, I, I've generally been enjoying it. It was a very easy read for me because of how much I enjoyed it. So I'm really excited to see how everything, you know, to see how the rest of the series goes. And we'll definitely get into that betrayal in a little bit, but it's good to hear that not only did you enjoy it, but it feels like you felt like this is, if you haven't read Shang-Chi before, which I imagine a lot of people haven't because he's not a character who often gets a lot of solos. There's uh, very few, like, sprinklings and spatterings of issues that he's a part of, that he's a mainstay, that he's the title of, but it's not a lot to go off of or to really read. So it's great that this was able to help bridge that gap from for people and you know it's a good job it's a good starting point if you do want to start reading some shang chi i think the first thing to start off with is i think talking about this added canon about where shang chi's family comes from and how do you think this helps either redefine the character or helps establish the identity that was already set forth from the character uh where his mom was talking about where she comes from and the land that she protected and how she met shang chi's father as someone who's never read Shang-Chi before, but really, really enjoyed the movie, I actually, I like that they added some from the movie 
some lore from from it and then made it their own so it does make it uh relatively easy to follow if you're just kind of tuning in for the first time uh i was so happy that they added in the other world or the 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 sequestered island part because i've been wondering for the last several issues now why they speak in quote-unquote ancient mandarin i'm like if, if i'm sorry but if you're any part of you know a, a prolonged society you know like language changes and with as much influence as gone in and out of china and and the amount of you know trading and things going abroad or coming in language changes so i'm just like why do they keep saying ancient mandarin like where are they getting this oh she, oh 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 she's from like a sequestered island this actually makes a lot more sense and makes the suspension of disbelief easier for me i know that seems odd that's actually a really great point. I love that because I didn't even think about it, but it feels so intentional mm -hmm. and that just adds like so many layers to it. So thank you for pointing that out. Your thoughts, Kyle, on this establishing of Shang-Chi's family history of where his mother comes from, Tao Lo, and how it's very, it's similar to what we got from the movie, but it's not exactly exact. It's not the exact same. I haven't actually seen the movie yet. Wait, really? Really? Yeah, I even How though it's on dare. Disney Plus, I know it's I just have had other things. So, Don't worry, yeah. you're not the only one. <laughs> We're just gently shiting you. I know. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I I found it it really fascinating that she came from this other dimension and it made sense, I guess. And I liked having that backstory where we learn how she came to be connected to Shangju and I'm just happy that she's not talking to the bugs anymore. Oh, amen. <laughs> it had a real Annihilus vibe going on for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm there with you. It was a little creepy and I think part of what made it creepy is when we have this introduction of his mother and Shang-Chi hasn't seen his mother in decades at this point uh, in terms of comic time where his mother was they thought his mother was dead it's very fascinating to see if we were at a point where can we or can we not trust her because something did seem a little bit off about her i mean you are in a different dimension for years and the only companions you can talk to are these weird dragonflies yeah you probably maybe have a screw loose but who doesn't at this point but i think for me and i'd love to get other people's opinions on this and that what made this issue so great for me personally for me is that this moved the unique story of shung chi of what's going on in this run along we get this we finally understand who's after shang chi who's rounding up all of these people he's beating and it's culminating to this pretty interesting idea that we're continuing with the idea of family and this idea of tradition the conflict of tradition versus modernity and what that means for somebody who is trying to uphold tradition without it coming across as you never question where you come from or you don't question the rules set forth while not losing your sense of identity that you did have that you did grow up with i really enjoyed seeing everybody there it's also uh, something that we have echoed that well the conflicts aren't the worst thing in the world it does come across a little weird that all of the superheroes that shang chi has worked with for years immediately distrusted him for what he was doing with going back to the five hand weapon society and i it, i personally had a problem with that it just felt like nobody was able to give him the benefit of 
the doubt. Nobody was saying like, oh, they're not actually doing evil. Like it, it just felt a little weird. But seeing these villains that are a direct consequence of Shang-Chi righting his father's wrongs, I actually think was really nice. And you get to see this whole collection of people that are from basically from his father's past that he now has to deal with. And I would love everybody else's opinions on this big culminating fight scene with all these villains that we saw in these previous issues. I mean, honestly, though, I'm, uh, the way the way people that are not directly connected to Shang-Chi, the way, let's, oh God, I have to be blunt. The way the cis white people treat Shang-Chi and his family is very much like Yellow Peril. And they can give the benefit of the doubt to other usually white people in their universe without a second hesitation. But any time it comes to a person of color, uh, there's a lot more hoops that need to be jumped through, apparently, and it's irritating. Uh, and, and the same thing with, with Shang-Chi. They, he's now the head of this thing. And do they go, okay, so are you going to do, are you going to use your power for good? No, they just assume that he is always lying or stealing or using double speed. He's basically being held to a standard that they don't even hold to themselves. <coughs> Tony Stark. There you go. Fucking asshole. I'm sorry. <laughs> I said that one out loud. Um, but yeah, like it's so often it has been either Tony or oddly enough, Captain America who've come in guns a blazing as it were. And, you know, been, Hey, we know you're lying to us. I know that you've stolen something from us. I know you're going to use these things for evil. Cause that's what I would do. Like, <laughs> like, what, like what the shit, man? Like they don't give him the benefit of that for nothing. Yeah. With, I agree with the Captain America thing. I, so Captain mm. America was the second team up he had. Uh, Spider-Man didn't have that. Ugh, he had a little bit of a reason to be like, kind of, mm. but in the end, he knows Shang-Chi very, very personally. Since Shang-Chi mm. trained him, I feel like he should have a good sense of him. Captain America was specifically called by Shang-Chi to intervene. And then he has the cube and then there's a little bit of a, another kerfluffle, and then he doesn't have the cube. He doesn't think he doesn't think better of Shang Chi. Like he thinks Shang Chi's that stupid. Mm -hmm. Like he he specifically called you in, and then he's going to pull the wool over your eyes. Like I just found that very strange. Like they should just know him better. But I will mm -hmm. say this: as frustrating as they were <laughs> towards him. I felt like it was still in character based on past events in the Marvel Universe. So I guess yeah. there's that. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely in character with them, the way that they treat other people. While it does fall in step with how their characters would act and react, like Tony Stark, Captain America, um, it's just like, oh goody, we get to see it again in another book, and it's like, mm -hmm. could you, could you just, could you just either keep have the white people out or like try to have some growth, like right? Ugh. Yeah, at least Wolverine. I felt like Wolverine was like the least 
offensive. He, he right? yes, he was because he he only really cared about Deadly Staff being a mutant. That's all he mm. cared about. And when she right. decided that she didn't want to go with him, then he was like, "Okay, that's fine." Yeah, he <laughs> he just wanted masters? exactly, and he just wanted to make sure that Deadly Staff knew her options. He mm-hmm. knew that she could claim the citizenship of Krakoa, and then once she made her choice, he said, "Okay," and then he left her alone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is funny because i mean i mean mutants are the analog for usually like people of color or alphabet mafia so right. yeah mm-hmm. we you know i can i oh. can get where mutants would understand personal boundaries cultural boundaries how how society works a little bit different for certain people um, exactly and, and yeah. they they don't expect the oh if i say it you're just gonna do it right exactly i mean is it a great look that you know deadly staff happens to be betraying shang chi right now no but it does not change what we're saying exactly exactly now we could talk about this more because we're at that point uh when deadly staff was introduced we were like oh cool a new mutant and as people might be aware there are way too many mutants currently and the x office as well as the marvel office has kind of done a little embargo of being like no no more mutants right now they're pulling a wanda um, i was about to say <laughs> look here wanda shut up let me many want um so when they, you know, when you do get permission to actually get to make a mutant, uh, I think that's really amazing. That's it. Kind of at this point, it is now much more special because after when it was fir- when mutants were first introduced, it was very special because there were only a handful of mutants, and then it got to a point where we had an oversaturation of mutants, where it's like, well, now everybody's a mutant, so it doesn't matter. And now we're back at the point where since nobody's allowed to be a mutant, it's cool when you get to be a mutant again. Right, right. And also, I just want to say this, but can we please take uh, Siren and Firestar off of the ballot? and just replace her with deadly staff because I'd be all about that. Right, right. I would need to see where things go with the storyline before I let her join the X-Men. Listen, if everybody's allowed to have a clean slate, <laughs> she's gonna be allowed to have a clean slate, let me tell you. Well, I mean, if Sebastian <laughs> Shaw can sit on the council, deadly staff yes. could be on the X-Men. Okay, okay. And I would love to, you know, pose this theory. I actually find it fascinating that deadly staff was one of the people willing to betray shang chi and Mm. at least in this we saw her before uh takeshi's you know arrest but i'm still not exactly sure why she's betraying shang chi if anything i imagine deadly dagger would be the one to betray Mm. that makes a little more sense personally because she was a lot closer to takeshi and that betrayal uh as we saw hit her harder than it did deadly staff i'm not really really sure why deadly staff would be upset at takesha being betrayed if anything deadly staff would have the most to gain and just from everything about their father's passing the only thing that i can think of is that she had been approached by chieftain shin before shang chi and the rest of his family found her and he convinced her that things aren't going to be any different from when shang zhu was controlling and that she wouldn't really be considered family that's the only thing that i can think of because it it felt like she had already uh turned against him before any of the stuff going on with Takeshi happened. Yeah. I, right. So, okay. 
I guess my issue is intrinsically, like, in the fact that Shang-Chi, like, protected her from the same person she was offended that he betrayed. And I'm just very confused about how that translated in her head, how this man convinced her that this person that is in her family that was trying to kill her, that was betrayed by Shang-Chi because he was lying in the first place and stole an item and kept it for himself that could rewrite reality. Um, Like, I don't understand why this triggered her, I guess, as much as Shang-Chi protecting her in the first place. I don't know. Well, I I mean, I think there's, I think there's a bit of internal family stress and I think they were used to kowtowing to their father so much, like to such an extreme degree that now that the shift has basically gone 180, some of them might still have, you know, some old background friends who are like, "Mm, are you sure this is, are you sure the good thing's going to work out? Because so far, nobody seems to trust you when you say you're going to do the good thing. And uh, I mean, you're just going to get how many times have have eastern cultures especially uh china been screwed over by westerners absolutely absolutely so yeah i, I can kind of see why sh- why there might not be full trust in shang chi because shang chi does try to play nice with with the westerners and a lot of the family is really not kosher with that because they've seen shit go sideways like again and again and again so i mean it's a mental hoops to jump through but i can i can sort of understand i guess I, I you make very valid points I guess my problem is, why not communicate with each other? Because mm, that'd be too easy, and then you wouldn't have a story? Uh, <laughs> because That's fair, and I, I am still holding out hope that she is going to be like, mm, okay, I'm wrong, and I take it back, let me help you. Or, she's a double agent. Also, this is the Marvel Universe where nobody knows how to communicate, and that causes all kinds of issues. Yes, well, it's, yeah. it's true. Yeah. It's the same thing as sitcom rules. If anybody actually spoke to one another in a sitcom wacky situation, there wouldn't be any wacky situations. Also, the invention of cell phones, you know, makes modern sitcoms a little bit harder to do because you can't do wacky shit if you could text somebody a question. Okay, that's fair, and they do not have a mutant telepath on their side, so I accept. Where's Emma when you need her? Now that begs the question, do mutant telepaths, like, are they the mutant cell phones? Oh, are I they, like, just that... constantly texting one another? I think Girl, that the cuckoos have proved, media. yes. Cuckoos <laughs> <laughs> are also very special. They have a group chat. <laughs> um, and, oh, wait, which one Which one was uh, banging Quentin? Uh, oh, Esme? Oh, is it Esme? I thought it was Phoebe. I thought it was, like, both. I thought it was two of them. You know what? Uh, it might be two of them. No. All of them were messing with Quentin. Phoebe was with Cable, wasn't she? I thought they were all dating Cable. Nah, I mean, it's the five and one. Yeah, so I'm just yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, because there was there was that whole issue where she broke up with him at, because they were mad at her for for dating him. Uh, I mean, it is Phoebe. There is a panel of Quentin sneaking to go find Phoebe. Yes, he says all clear, Phoebe. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because okay, so I was thinking of the issues of X Factor where it was all about Quentin and she was right. the one going around with him and helping him because she was the one he was meeting with. You're right. You're right. 
Czar. I'm just way too invested <laughs> in my little frost sisters, like um, romantic lives. <laughs> anyway, the reason why I bring that up is because in that group chat, she wasn't being active, and all her sisters said, "We're gonna kick you out if you literally do not come back to this group chat." And she said, "I mean, I guess." And they were like, <laughs> "You have to dump your boy." This isn't, this isn't even supposed to be about this, but it's now turning into this. I have to her UGG boots and grab her tiny dog and a purse with a pumpkin spice latte and get back in there. Oh, oh. I thought that was Lorna. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you have a, sure you have a battle Rachel. at eight, but you've got to get your coffee in first. <laughs> I'm 95% sure Lorna's policy is I'm already late. I might as well just get coffee. Listen, if you're going to get in trouble, whether you're 10 minutes or an hour late, you might as well just be an hour late at that point. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, that's, I mean, don't do that. That's not good life advice. Uh, anything I say legally and cannot be used as binding and or in any court of law. But For legal I'm just saying, this, is, this is a joke. <laughs> for legal reasons, this is me joking, but also seriously. Uh, <laughs> Do whatever you want. Anyway, back to this issue. Um, how did we feel about the reveal that this was Shang-Chi's grandfather, his mother's father, kind of st- claiming war against him? I'm not even exactly sure why his grandfather is so pressed, but I would love to know everybody's opinions on this reveal. I'm confused as to why he's so against Shang-Chi. I'm assuming that it's because he's mad that Shang-Zhu had convinced his mother to, to stay and Instead of returning to their dimension, I guess? I don't know. Well, also, he had ordered his daughter to bring him the outsider's head. Yeah. So not only did she break the rules in nursing him back to health for like over a month, she broke the rules in going to to his his palace, staying there, having a couple of kids. Like, like she did the exact opposite of everything her father had basically told her to do. And, uh, so yeah, I think I think he's like, oh, and by the way, I've been keeping tabs on you, and you've just been royally fucking it up, in my opinion. So you handed out power to people who don't deserve it, and 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 my freaking daughter can't seem to follow a direction. That's the only thing I can think of. Uh, yeah, actually, I think that's pretty much. I agree. <laughs> this is. I, I'm sorry. I suddenly saw this giant yeti-looking monster behind Deadly Staff. I'm like. Oh. The, oh yeah know, it, like literally they grabbed every single one of his oh right that's yeah that was the guy that transformed wasn't it yeah the monster yeah. man right the yeah monster man? i'm i'm absolutely loving the story i don't want anybody to think that i am not loving these stories it's just sometimes a step outside my my knowledge base as it were so every now and again i am mildly lost or mildly not following but also i think it has a little bit to do with my my cultural base which hey if this is working for somebody else's cultural base i'm all freaking for it it's me who needs to catch up not somebody else i love all the the people writing the kirins i'm obsessed with the art and the aesthetics so like the kirins are making my life Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. I'm so with you on that. Like, I, w- I want to see more of this this other world come to yes. the Earth. Oh my gosh, yes. Absolutely. I if really... The, if the Kirin's just the first thing, oh god, can you think of what else they might bring through? I know! Oh my goodness! I really hope that they make friends with, like, another little, like, I don't know what it is, but it's the little, like, 
squishy thing that has the wings that's in the movie his name is morris but like i really hope that one joins the book Ooh. as like a cute furry winged mascot i mean we can always use more pets especially if we need something for like pet avengers yes <laughs> oh yeah they're doing like that would be so quiche if like we could get a marvel version of like that crypto movie coming out let me be real honest with you i love crypto so much I oh. watched the Crypto Superdog cartoon TV show way too much as a kid. <laughs> oh my gosh, Jonah, I promise you, I love Crypto so much. That was not at all a <laughs> a uh, commentary on Crypto. I haven't said that on air to anybody yet. I love Crypto so much. Oh my god, Jonah. I'm so stoked for this movie because the trailer was so cute with him trying to wake up clark i was like dying inside Crypto and the see, Superdog is that would there. be great to like establish like all these wonderful great characters from all over and then make movies about them because they don't all have to be superhero movies sometimes they just need to be fun correct uh marvel jeff the land shark live action movie when i'm just that's I'm just that is what i'm hoping for I would love Emma in this movie trying, like, chasing after Jeff the Shark to, mm -hmm. like, get him to become a purse, like, all Cruella DeVille-like. And I think this is an Emma stand, by the way. Okay, but see, you're joking. However, in the most recent Deadpool run, Deadpool had to go to Krakoa. I'm not exactly sure why, because I didn't read those few issues. I read the Elsa Bloodstone issues, because obviously. But uh, at this point, um, when Gwenpool was going to Krakoa, she leaves Jeff with Wade. And at some point, I believe <laughs> Jeff is now staying with Kate, uh, Kate Bishop. Anyway, regardless, uh, due to the, the Jeff, uh, it's Jeff Infinity comic, which is the most amazing thing in the entire world. Everyone go read that if you can. Anyway, when Wade has to go to Krakoa, he brings Jeff with him and he talks with Emma. And Emma literally says, this is the cutest thing in the entire world. I want to have him. And Wade says, no, but Jeff loves Emma and Emma loves Jeff. So it's not out of the realm of possibility <laughs> to have Emma chase jeff to try to collect him i remember that <laughs> issue and i was obsessed she does talk about turning him into a purse but i don't think she was serious i think she was i think she just really loved him because he went right into her lap and i would love it if one day when jeff is a giant crazy looking land shark she just has him on a leash as a pet I would also love if Wade was on a leash. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. I love Deadpool. That was not my favorite issue. I had some problems <laughs> with it, but that's yeah, not part of this conversation. <laughs> I have issues with the issue. I keep trying to change my lexicon, so I stop saying that, but it's very difficult. Well, I, you know, honestly, though, Jeff the Landshark would make a perfect purse because I believe he could still do it while he's living and just eat things and then hork the mech up on command. Yeah. That's a, he's got hammer space yes hammerhead shark space hammerhead shark space oh my gosh Ooh. now i want a hammerhead land shark oh my fucking god 
Any last thoughts about this issue? Anything we didn't specifically cover that you would love to touch on? Any thoughts? Um, go through all of that as well as think about what are you looking forward to in the next issue as well as for the rest of this run? Because I'm not actually sure how many more. Is this, do we know this is ongoing or like I, I think 12? it's ongoing. I feel like it has to be ongoing because seven is like is already such a high number for just a mini series, right? And... Yeah, but with this is also Marvel. And um... yeah, like if they do end up canceling it i think it's going to be around 10 to 12 yeah that's what my initial thought was but okay so what are we uh hoping for expecting or looking forward to in the next issue as well as any other final thoughts about this that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about yet well i'm gonna let kyle go first because or you because i keep throwing him off and i feel bad Uh, you know, I'm I'm just really excited to see um Chieftain Shin's uh, side of things. I want to understand why he's brought all these villains together to take out Chang Chi and and his family. And I want to see if he's going to try to take back his his daughter, which is I hope oh. doesn't happen. Oh, I didn't even think of that. God damn. Well, for me, I'm I'm still so obsessed with this beautiful artwork. It looks practically like a watercolor but with like the, the line work of a comic book like a western comic book but i just i love it i can eat it up all day all night i am just in for it and beyond the gorgeous artwork i i just ugh, i really want to see this book make it to at least 10 or 12 so that we can get a good like hard trade because i think it'll make even more sense if you're able to like sit down and just read it straight through as a trade some things you can fit into an issue and it makes sense from you know book to book some you need like a full trade and you're going oh okay this makes more sense this okay okay yeah because you can go back and forth and you know answer a few questions you may have had floating around but i'm really looking forward to the next one and i do hope they make it at least to 12 if not beyond yeah i agree uh actually to echo onto uh raven's sentiment about the art i have not been able to stop staring at the last page with the chieftain writing the kieran because it's just so freaking gorgeous and i want more of this art as i can possibly get as far as what i'm hoping for in the future of the book uh, yes, absolutely. Continuing past 10, more than 12 issues, I would keep reading this as an ongoing. I really hope that his mother stays, Shang-Chi's mother. I really love her as part of the book. It's kind of nice to have this guiding force for him, um, one of good compared to the legacy of his father. And I can't wait to see his sister, Deadly Staff, uh, betray the people that she has aligned herself with so that way she can reveal being a double agent all along because I'm obsessed with her and mutants are my favorite part of the Marvel Universe and that's it, I swear. <laughs> Deadly Staff becomes an inconvenient stick. Oh, that <laughs> that speaks to me. <laughs> It's a cross. No, it's a double cross. No, it's a triple cross. <laughs> I just love her so much. Right? It's like, even though she's kind of with the bad guys right now, I still am sort of rooting for her on some weird Yes! Level. Is that weird? I thought I was weird for that, that no, I wanted her to succeed either way. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought I thought. Oh, I thought that was just me. Like, Not at all. I am with you. She just made a mistake, right? That's all. She's just, right? she's just a dollop of a mistake. Yeah. That's all. She it's can... not unfixable. It's not. It's it's not Tony Stark. Yes. <laughs> Age of Ultron. I'm just saying. <laughs> I can't. But yeah, no. I. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. That's where I am. <laughs> 
I am hoping for more family dynamic. I would love mm-hmm. to see how his mother is going to react to seeing her father and what that conversation will be like if Takeshi will be released from prison and mm-hmm. everybody will come help Shang-Chi because that's the least they can do to make up for how they've been treating him the past few days. Also, you know, I need to see the other Esme, Sister Dagger. Yeah, yeah. I can agree with that 100%. I, at first, I couldn't stand her, but then for some reason, like, it was this weird instantaneous, like... I just couldn't get enough of her. I think it had something to do with the snot shooter. <laughs> and how I mean, she's not Peter wrong. <laughs> right, exactly. He was so triggered by it. And Peter, <laughs> being one of my absolute favorite Marvel characters, being so up- <laughs> like like upset by it, I don't know, just made me like love her more. Because <laughs> if it gives him more funny moments, then, then yay to that. Right. I think they're going to have a quip off at some point. 